0: It's the Pete Callener Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callener is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for making me a part of your day. I do appreciate it. And I appreciate patrons to the program. Patrons like Robbie and Janet, Sarah and Frank. Karen, Manuel, Jeff and Nicole, Chris, Matthew, EZ, Daniel, and Janet. Thanks so much for becoming patrons of the program. Uh, you can as well to support the show uh, just by going to thepetecalendarshow.com, clicking on the link that's at the top there. You can also subscribe to the free daily podcast at the same location. It's a, There's a big fat subscribe button right there on the middle of the page, and uh, then you can subscribe on any podcasting uh, app of your choice, whether that's iTunes, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, Stitcher, Deezer, Amazon, whatever. So uh, all of the links are right there at Uh Also remember, check out the Facebook group where we have lots of fun uh, interacting with the audience there. So uh, lots of different ways for you to participate. So uh, also we want to thank Mattress Man presenting today's show, Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. The Split King mattress blowout it continues uh, at Mattress Man. This is where you can pick up a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses. But the Split King is two uh, pieces basically of a king size mattress. So this way you can have uh, different uh, firmness on one side versus the other. You can have the the head raised up or the feet raised up on either side. So it's completely customizable. Uh, Also. Buy now, pay later with no interest financing. Uh, you can sleep on the mattress right away and you pay it off when your tax return comes in, okay? They have the triple zero deal, which is no money down, no APR for 24 months and zero payments for 90 days. And Mattress men can work with you no matter what your credit score. So getting a good night's sleep it's just too important to you know, let past credit problems get in the way of better health. So uh, just ask them about it. They want to work with you because they recognize the value of everybody getting a good night's sleep. Uh, and we have our mattress for a mattress man. Christy and I bought it like nine years ago, eight years ago, and we love it. It's a memory foam, king-size mattress. They also have uh, deals on tons of inventory. You're not going to see it all unless you go to the website or go to one of their stores, mattressmanstores.com. They have local five-star delivery service. They do ship nationwide, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. So experience the difference at Mattress Man, buy local, and sleep better. So the last uh, podcast, the last episode, uh, I went over the state board of education meeting and we played a lot of audio and I basically let the, uh, the board members make their arguments. I I, I don't think, well, okay. I shouldn't say that. I did inject my opinion on certain elements <laughs> of the debate. Um, but I want to take a deeper dive because I didn't really get a chance. I just ran out of time on the last episode, um, I want to go deeper into this critical race theory, the systemic racism argument that is being advanced through these standards uh, that the Board of Education is fixing to adopt. And uh, there's something that you should know right out of the gate is that there has been a petition launched by the lieutenant governor. Mark Robinson, uh, to try to uh, pressure the Board of Education not to adopt the current draft as amended uh, standards. So here is what the there's a call to action that went out. And uh, they're looking for what they're looking to do is to to top the number of public comments that were sent, these emails that were sent to state board members. And because this was referenced in the discussion last week that they had, I think they said something like, oh, we had 85 percent. Uh, Support, And I think you're going to hear that because I'm going to replay comments from one board member in particular. uh, That would be James Ford. And uh, he's a teacher at Garinger High School down in Charlotte. He was the teacher of the year in the entire state. And uh, he is, you know, uh, a believer in the uh, critical race theory and systemic racism. And so that's what he is. Uh, he's on board with, and he's making the case for that in the debate last week. And I think he was the one, we'll hear it again, but he was the one that referenced uh, this 85, 80 plus percent, I forget what the exact uh, figure was, uh, this support that the emailers, that people had weighed in, all in support of the new standards. Okay, so... If you want to play that game and you're going to use the number of emails that have come in one way or the other uh, as a justification for proceeding with the standards, then there is now this effort underway uh, right now, as I speak, to get signatures against... The standards and to have more signatures against the standards. Okay, so the North Carolina State Board of Education is going to be voting on these standards on February 4th. So that is three days from today as I'm recording this show. And uh, the proposed standards are political in nature and they paint America and her history as evil and racist. These divisive standards consistently separate Americans into groups in an effort to undermine our unity. The proposed standards indoctrinate our students against our great country and our founders. The standards are not age appropriate in the elementary grades either. So tell the State Board of Education, oppose the current draft of standards and support original standards submitted in June of 2020. And uh, the state board, it goes on to say the state board was told over 7,000 emails were received on this and uh, that 85% of those emails were supportive. And so they're trying to top 7,000 emails uh, in opposition. So here is the statement. Yeah, this is the statement that the Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson put out after the board meeting. He said, These standards are the foundation for education in our state and, as such, are incredibly important. They exist for every grade and every course subject within the state. Such standards should be drafted without an underlying agenda and without political motivations. As I have said many times, we need to teach our children how to think and not what to think. Unfortunately, the standards, as they are currently written, do not accomplish this goal. Instead, they have been crafted by those on the radical left with an explicit agenda of being divisive, promoting left-wing ideology, and indoctrinating our students within public schools. One such standard can be found in the objectives for the founding principles of the U.S. and North Carolina civic literacy. This is uh, one of the standards. That, That was the title, Founding Principles of the United States of America and North Carolina, Civic Literacy. And here's what the standard states, quote, explain how individual values and societal norms contribute to institutional discrimination and the marginalization of minority groups living under the American system of government. So that is, right, when you're talking about explain how Individual values, so is that, I, I'm not talking, uh, well, I'm not sure actually what they're talking about here. It, it, are they saying like the value of individualism or like my personal individual values or is it like a discrete value that the society has, like this one individual value that the society shares? I'm not sure, but they say explain how individual values and societal norms contribute to to institutional discrimination. Okay, that is systemic racism. That's part of critical race theory. See, it's it's embedded as I was uh, mentioning on the uh, the previous episode, it is embedded in the standards. And this is why the Republicans on the board of education are looking at this and they're saying, I'm not so sure I like the tone of this, even if they're not equipped with the understanding and the knowledge of critical race theory and the concepts of systemic racism and where that comes from and how it is described and defined, they can tell there's something going on here, right? Even if they don't know the words to use, uh, to identify it, they, they, they know something is happening with this type of standard. Robinson says the message here is clear. America is a racist nation with systems in place designed to discriminate against minority groups and the implication that you should hate our great nation. Unfortunately, this example is not an outlier, but instead reflects the broader sentiment that is pervasive throughout the standards from first grade through high school. I am opposed to these standards because of the divisive language and the clear radical agenda being pushed on our students. Our children deserve better, and I will continue to fight to ensure that all students in North Carolina receive a quality education. And so he has uh, a uh, he's put out a petition Um, that I have linked up at the Patreon page for people who get the prep sheet. It's all there, but it's also at markrobinsonforenc.com. The North Carolina State Board of Education is going to be voting on this, and he says the the proposed standards are political in nature, and they paint America as being uh, systematically racist. These divisive standards consistently separate Americans into groups in an effort to undermine our unity, and uh, the proposed standards quote, indoctrinate our students against our great country and our founders. The standards are not age appropriate in the elementary grades. Will you stand with Lieutenant Governor Robinson in rejecting the current standards the State Board of Education is planning to vote on? And so, as I mentioned earlier, they're trying to get uh, 7,000 petition signatures uh, because that's how many went... uh, prior and like 85% of the 7,000 were positive. They were in support of this, uh, of these new standards. And so they're trying to uh, top that spoiler alert. As I understand it, they're already at about a uh, 12,000 <laughs> on this, <laughs> on this uh, petition. They're already at about 12,000 as of the recording of this program. I thought this was also interesting that the news and observer story uh, that uh, covered the board of education meeting last week. They, I, so tell me, tell me if you spot the difference. See if you can detect the difference. Okay, I'm going to read you the way. i read you two sentences and the way that the News and Observer defines and describes who the two different individuals are that are expressing their opinions that are in disagreement with one another. Okay, so here's the first one. Quote. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a Republican, said that the standards would inaccurately teach that the U.S. is a racist nation. Okay? I'll read it again. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a Republican, said that the standards would inaccurately teach that the United States is a racist nation. Okay. Uh, Here's the other description. See if you can tell how this one is different than the last one. Ready? But board member James Ford, who is black argued that the changes sought would deny that systemic racism exists. So he is described as, quote, board member James Ford, who is black. Do you you notice the difference? (laughs) That Mark Robinson, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a Republican, and board member James Ford, who is black. Did you know that Mark Robinson is black? It's true he is. He is the first he's the first black lieutenant governor ever elected in North Carolina. And he's a Republican. He and he won in a crowded field of Republican candidates in the primary. He beat a bunch of other Republicans. All oh, those racist Republicans, they they yeah, they they nominated him and then got him elected. Uh, To the lieutenant governor post in North Carolina. So he is opposed to these standards. He's got this petition going and he's got uh, last I checked was about 12,000 signatures on it. I also have uh, one of the standards here that I printed out. Um, This is from the third grade standard snapshot of supporting documents it says unpacking the history objectives and it gives you like objective mastery of the objectives students will understand the following concepts students will know the following constant concepts and then they give some examples um so so here you go the objective 3h11 Explain how the experiences and achievements of women, indigenous, religious, and racial groups have contributed to the development of the local community. Okay, I don't have any problem with this necessarily. Indigenous, women, religious, racial groups. Like, I understand that a lot of the history of America, as it was taught to me, was, you know, white guys. I understand that. And rationally, I can understand why, right? Because America was founded by a bunch of white guys. That's not to say they were the only ones who influenced the founding of the country. But by and large, it was a bunch of white guys. And so I understand that they're all over the history books. And I also understand that, you know, history, you got to make history compelling and entertaining. And you you because and honestly, it is what is history, but like stories that can be told in a way that are really exciting and make people care about it. And one way that you can make people care about the history, look at uh, the play, Alexander Hamilton, right? You make people care about history by making it relatable. And that was one of the biggest problems, I think, for a long time, and probably still is the case in uh, the teaching of history, is that it's a lot of times it's just, you know, dates and places and names, and it's just boring. And nobody cares, when you start talking though about some of the stories and the concepts if you can make that history come alive and make it relatable to kids then they're going to be more invested in the history in the lesson, right? So, I'm okay with identifying different groups and trying to highlight how they played these roles because like truth be told, I'm I just I always am interested to hear you know, interesting tidbits from history. And, oh, I didn't know that story about this person who is basically largely forgotten because of racism. I'm okay hearing those stories. Absolutely. Um, so I don't have any, I don't have any objection. Here's what, here's my objection. In the example of formative assessment, okay, this is what, so they give you the objective and then they give you some example topics. Like you could talk about, you know, entertainers like Andy Griffith, you um, You could talk about sports people like Michael Jordan and Dean Smith, religious leaders like Billy Graham, manufacturing, uh, like the Duke family, the Cannon family, landowners like the Vanderbilts, uh, educators, and uh, anyway, they give different examples. And then they say this, though, students research important local historical figures embodying these figures in sort of a wax museum activity. So this is the example, like, hey, you could have the kids, they can make like, you know, statues out of play or something out of clay. You could do like a wax museum uh, activity. Students then write a short description for each of their famous wax museum figures, explaining their contributions to their local community. Students should then act out short presentations or monologues. I would not recommend this, okay? this Kids, do not do that. Teachers, do not assign this. Do not have these kids act out monologues of some minority figures don't just don't do it. Okay. I just see bad things happening here. Cause you know, someone's going to have a, <laughs> someone's going to have a video of this and about 15 years down the road, some kid is going to be applying for college and like, well, remember that time that you uh, portrayed Harriet Tubman and you're not a black woman. And so you were appropriating her. Like, I don't know what the standards are going to be in 15 years from now. So just, I would not recommend you doing that kids. All right. Teachers don't have the kids act out various roles and stuff because, I mean, God forbid you have like the governor of Virginia's uh, kid in your class. Right. I mean, what he's going, well, daddy wore blackface. I can too. like you do not do not want to even open the door to this kind of a possibility. All right. Trust me on that. Do not do that assignment. Now, here's your assignment. Go to Old Grouch's military surplus if you haven't already. He's got something there for you. You probably don't even uh, think that you need it. didn't even know you needed it until you see it. I like the ammo cans. I'm going to get some of these when uh, we get into our house so I can start storing some of the stuff out in my garage in the ammo cans. I just, It's a great storage solution, and you can move them around and stuff. They come in all sizes. You can put them in your work trucks as well. They also have uh kevlar they've got he just got a big shipment of hungarian military body armor this is limited quantities and not available on the website so you want to go into the store which is located on main street in downtown clyde uh actually this weekend Christy and I, uh, we had our in-laws in, in and uh, we took the nephews to, uh, what was it, Moonshine Mountain in Henderson County. We did the tubing, the snow tubing down the hill, and uh, I I actually wore one of old Grouch's uh, thermal undershirts. Oh, I was so warm the whole time. I didn't even like. It is amazing when you have the right gear, how the elements uh, really don't affect you so much. You can for real, like I was hanging out all day outside uh, in the cold and it didn't even bother me. So go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Ask about the um, the the cold weather gear that he's got. Great prices lower than you're going to find it like the outdoor stores as well. Oldgrouch.com is the website. Shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun on Main Street in downtown Clyde. And, of course, tell them that you heard it here uh, on the show. So... This was um, a, uh, uh, an open letter in support of the new social studies standards that was written by Anthony Jackson and Mariah Morris, and they serve on the board of an organization called Education NC, and they do a website called ednc.org. So Education NC also has used James Ford as a contributing writer for their website. Okay, so you have two boards, so, and the reason I mention all of this is because uh, this organization is sort of a nexus for these types of influencers in North Carolina education policy, okay? So ednc.org, James Ford, board member, he is uh, also a writer for this organization. So you have this open letter that uh, is in support of the so the new social study standards. They are endorsing it. Okay, they say we believe these standards are ready for installation, along with an emerging set of unpacking tools under development from the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. We wanted to make the, or take this opportunity to offer our perspective on three specific concerns expressed uh, in the board meeting. Uh, the Board of Education meeting from uh, January, okay? They say, American histories is one, gender identity is another, and uh, empowering citizenship, or sorry, inquiry standards was the other. Um, They say, first, American histories. We believe the proposed standards reflect our nation's historical complexity and context. They reflect the ideals upon which our country was founded, as well as the prevailing paradoxes and multiple perspectives inherent in the history and culture of our country. To ground our teaching of American history in facts, and to serve the best interests of our students, we must teach standards that address the hard truths of America. I don't have any problem teaching the hard truths. And frankly, uh, I get a little ticked off when I hear people who are pushing the critical race theory agenda when they frame it like this. And I know why they do it, right? It's a false choice uh, uh, rhetorical device, the false dichotomy. It is, well, I'm for teaching the hard truths, you know, teach the history warts and all. And so the only other position one must have is that they don't want to teach these things. It's not a matter of not teaching them. It's a matter of how you teach them, right? So, in other, for example, yes, the Constitution, when it was drafted, uh, did not prohibit slavery. It didn't, right? And that's a problem. That was the original sin uh, upon which America was founded, right? But then to ignore everything that comes after that, as if it is irrelevant or less relevant than, say, Jim Crow or redlining or urban development urban renewal you know like all of these other things that were done that were wrong all of these other things that were done to black people in america and other and you know the trail of tears with indigenous people um all of these other pieces of history are they more relevant or less relevant than say the civil war the abolition of slavery that left hundreds of thousands of americans dead many of whom fought right like half of them fought to free slaves so does that count for nothing and does the um does the abolition of slavery and the the uh you know the amendments to the constitution does that somehow undermine this idea that the founding documents and the the entire legal system is inherently racist and should therefore be you know torn down because of its inherent racism Mark Robinson made the argument, it's an argument that I agree with, which is, yes, the documents had slavery codified in them, right? But they also allowed for the repeal of that slavery. And so therefore, does that make the documents inherently racist? Or did it recognize the realities of the day, which was that they could not create this union of states unless they allowed the slave owning states to keep slaves, knowing that eventually this is going to have to get addressed and here's the mechanism to do so. We're going to put it in there. We're going to make the constitutional uh, make the Constitution amendable, right? So this way it can be addressed. And this was Robinson's point that it's the same document that you cite as inherently racist that allowed for it to be undone. So how can you have that both ways? Well, you know it's the left, so they always try to have things both ways. That's kind of the, that's kind of their deal. Um, as a basic example, this the the Ed and C board members say they say as a basic example, how can we honestly teach the aspirational tenets of America, such as all men are created equal, without also acknowledging that historical injustices permeate American history? Again, false choice. You don't have to teach that as an either or, right? You can teach that as the aspirational that all men are created equal, but for those people living in those times, their concept of that statement was different than what our concept is now. Why are we constantly trying to judge people who lived hundreds of years ago by our modern standards? It's one of these things, while... Because like, this is going to come up in the critical race uh, examination, which is we're not supposed to, in modern times, we're not supposed to compare or judge or rank certain cultural norms as better or worse than others, because that's racist. So if a culture that celebrates education, for example, versus a culture that does not, or like a culture that celebrates criminality, right, which one of these is better? <gasps> you can't say that, Pete that's racist. Okay. Well then why are we trying to make these types of value judgments based on modern norms versus uh, norms from 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 500 years ago? If we're not allowed to judge one culture versus another and they're both modern, why would we be allowed to judge one culture versus another when one's modern and one's not? Again, another double standard i know this it it gets frustrating but this is the illogic of it and if you don't identify the illogic of the argument then all you're doing is saying i don't like the tone and that's not going to win you the argument here um which is exactly what the board of education was doing And and, and maybe it's because they're white and they're republican and well one of them actually wasn't i mean mark robinson is black but um was it Dr. Oxendine, I think was her name. And, and she is a board member. And yeah, Olivia Oxendine. And she's Native American. But there was this kind of, ah, I'm not so sure I want to say these things because, you know, I'm white and I don't want to be accused of being a racist. And this is how they, they control the debate. People are so afraid of what the, of what you're going to get called that you don't make these arguments. And part of it is just they I don't know that maybe they haven't done the research. They haven't done the homework to know what is actually being argued. They say the previous iteration of standards only encouraged teachers to address slavery and indigenous populations and the words injustice, segregation. Discrimination and racism were altogether missing from the previous draft. It is also critical that the standards we teach more specifically address the impact of the American experiment upon indigenous populations. The proposed standards now have the specificity of language and breadth of scope that previous iterations were missing. Okay, so this is a very intentional thing. They're like, we want these things taught. And so because we want these words used, these concepts taught, we changed it, and this is what you should do, which is a different argument, by the way, right? Different argument than what they said at the board meeting, which was, we're not telling people exactly what to teach. And I said at the time, yeah, you kind of are. You kind of are. This, this is one of the most frustrating aspects of government in general, but education especially, government education. They... They construct these stakeholder input sessions, right, and they know where they want to go with it, and then it's just about constructing the, the, uh, the method to arrive at the conclusion they want, and they got there. This is what it's about. And now they're going to say, well, we don't, we're not telling you what you should teach. We're just giving you standards that you should follow explicitly. <laughs> it's totally not the same thing, though, <laughs> uh, which is actually true in the case of like marijuana and hemp. It's not the same thing. People think it is, but it's not the same thing. They're different. And so when I tell you I take CBD oil, I take a couple of drops before I go to bed, and I sleep more deeply than I ever have before in my life, Um, I'm not taking weed, folks. I'm not taking the pot, okay? Okay. It's CBD oil and uh, CBD they've got uh, growers hemp they've got topicals like balms and salves as well they've got lozenges as well Um, so if you don't want the drops they have tons of flavors for the drops um, that that people enjoy like for example the taste of the apple berry Paul says uh, was pleasant it was a combination of a natural hemp taste yet not overpowered by the fruit flavoring like cough syrup you know it didn't taste like cough syrup so it's not like that okay and uh, here's a Here was some feedback from Kim, listener of the show. And she says, honestly, I was skeptical. I teach elementary music and have been relegated to pushing a cart room to room this year. I come home limping daily, my knees and ankles normally swollen to twice their normal size and throbbing in pain. Um, Same thing today, but instead of ice packs and extra strength ibuprofen, I put some balm on my joints and uh, that was at 4 p.m. It's now 7.30 p.m. My left leg is completely back to normal. My right leg is a little sore, but improving. I am optimistic. Um, She says the balm is amazing. Uh, She burnt herself on a hot glue gun the other day, and she did not have any uh, lavender oil with her. So she put some of the the grower's hemp balm on the burn, and she said it was the fastest healing burn she's ever had. The blister dried up and is uh, practically unnoticeable in less than 24 hours. Okay. Now, as with all CBD products, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research, so these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider, so consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growers Hemp, these are North Carolina family farmers that got together and said, why don't we control the whole process from seed to shelf? You get better quality, lower pricing, and you're helping North Carolina farmers, and they're helping you on your wellness journey. GrowersHemp.com, GrowersHemp.com. Use my name, Pete, and you'll get 20% off at GrowersHemp.com. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. All right, so to conclude the open letter on new social studies standards from ednc. uh, yeah, EdNC.org, they say, in closing, history education is about more than just learning what happened in our past. A great history education empowers scholars. To think critically about how the past informs the present. It helps scholars embrace their roles as not only witnesses to history, but architects of their own lives. It serves the public good by teaching us about each other. And it places a premium on developing our skills to navigate the world we share. We need to look no further than the recent insurrection in Washington, D.C. to see the imperative we have in North Carolina to develop social studies standards that bring clarity about the past and empower our next generation of citizens to understand the inherent strength in a diverse society. Not the riots, though, from like the last year, right? Not any of that stuff. Or the insurrection in Portland and Seattle aimed at overthrowing the capitalist and constitutional republic systems. None of that. It's almost like the January 6th uh, sacking of the Capitol is now the answer and the example for everything the left wants to do, right? Every kind of assertion of their agenda is uh, rooted in the January sixth attack on the Capitol, and that this now justifies everything the left is trying to do. It's the example of all of the things they're fighting against, right? It is. It's. It's almost like Medicaid expansion is for Governor Roy Cooper. Medicaid expansion will solve every problem, no matter what it is. Whatever Roy Cooper is, whenever he's presented with some sort of a problem, it's like, you know what would solve this? Medicaid expansion, right? This is what the left is using the January 6th uh, sacking of the Capitol now, and they ignore... All of the other attacks on government institutions and and, uh, buildings over the last decade, I have detailed them, whether it's the state capitol in Texas, Wisconsin, even North Carolina, you've got the buildings in Seattle and Portland, the creation of an autonomous zone. I have labeled these things as insurrectionist activities because they are. I have no problem labeling the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol as an insurrection. However, If you're going to label that an insurrection, then you should be labeling all of the other insurrections as insurrection. Anyway, I know I'm asking for a consistent application of the standard, and that's not going to be the case. I know it's not coming. Uh, let me uh, let me play this soundbite again. This is James E. Ford. He is all, he is a writer at nced.org, but also the executive director of the Center for Racial Equity and Education, otherwise known as CREED. He represents the Southwest Education Region on the North Carolina Board of Education. And uh, here was his argument uh, for leaving systemic racism, systemic discrimination, uh, leaving these things in
1: the standards. So as much as you know, we're debating what students want to know, the truth is this debate is also about what we don't want students to know. And and that's the subtext. That I feel like we just need to go ahead and take out of our pocket and put on the table. At first, when we engaged in this discussion last month, I was assured, or at least I felt like the discussion was about the inquiry standards. The overarching standards that guide the rest of the subsequent more specific standards. And now I hear we're critiquing language around systemic racism, gender identity, and systemic discrimination. This is a deviation from uh, what I recall the first discussion to be about. And, And with respect, I don't think these are refinements. Actually, I think that it makes these terms more ambiguous
0: all right so he this was they were arguing over uh changing the term systemic racism to just be racism and he's like oh i think these are you know you're really altering this well they are but it's actually more expansive now teachers are going to be able to talk about anything under the heading of racism but whatever um i'm totally happy to have the conversation about critical race theory And I don't actually have any problem with taking it out of the pocket and putting it on the table and letting everybody discuss it. I have no problem with any of that. Um, I also reject this idea that just because the Board of Education was talking about something at the last meeting that they were concerned about, and now they're having other concerns about some components here, that there's something wrong with that. This is what the board is supposed to be doing. It's literally your job. Right. That's why you're on the Board of Education. And maybe it took a week or two for them to figure out what you guys were trying to insert into the standards. Right. Maybe they didn't realize it at the time because they're not up to speed on all of this stuff. That might be the case. I don't know. But I reject this idea that there's something wrong with, well, you know, you brought this other thing up last time. And I thought that's what we were talking about. And now it seems like you guys have these other concerns. Yeah. And so we have some other concerns.
1: Uh, I think it makes it less clear and more vague. And, you know, to me, if we were to adopt these draft five, it's an unnecessary concession um, because it just feels like a solution in desperate search of a problem.
0: All Um, right. So one of the things that drives me nuts about uh, this fellow's argument style, it's all cliche. He relies on these cliches, like these. Well, it's a you know solution in search of a problem. Oh my God! Like people say this, it doesn't. You know that's not profound. If you're just saying it, like he's saying it here, there's no there's nothing profound about what he just said. It barely even links back into his argument. It's a solution in search of a problem. No, it's not. They literally told you they don't like what these standards say, and so these people said, hey, well, why don't we try to change it like this? Here's a solution. It's literally a solution proposed to address a problem. Now, he can say, I don't like that solution, but you can't deny that it is a solution to an expressed problem. You may not think it was a problem. That doesn't make your cliche analogous. Um,
1: And so, you know, one of my questions, I guess, is why are we doing this? Can we be honest? I mean, we have heard that 85 percent of and that's the overwhelming majority. Of the feedback has been positive, right?
0: This is this goes to what I talked about earlier. The petition, the overwhelming response has been positive. Well, okay, I see your positive email rate, and I will raise you a petition uh, of uh what 150% of what you brought to the table i now have 150% more than you brought so therefore i'm right and what will happen now is that well those don't really count we don't really care we shouldn't be governed based on email uh, uh opinion that's just you know not a good way to govern like we're the board of education we're supposed to be making these decisions not them random people emailing see when they had the numbers then the emails were justifiable, right? The emails said, oh, well, they support our position. So we should listen to these emailers, the, the, the public. This is what they want. But now you're going to have all of these petition signatures coming in in opposition to what they want. And so now these will be dismissed as irrelevant. Oh well, alright fine, you just put out a petition, who cares? <laughs> right? This is this is the way this game is played. This is orchestrated. That's why I just I I've watched enough of these types of government mechanisms, especially around education, designed to induce a particular result. Now, if you're trying to get the result of selling your house or buying your house, then uh, here's how you induce that result. You call Rowena Patton, okay? Her number is 333-4483. Her website is mountainhomehunt.com, and Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team will go to work for you, and if you're looking to buy a house, she has homes on all price points. If you're looking to sell your house, she has buyers already lined up. She's the official Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees, as well as educators. So give her a call. Get your house sold quickly and for more money, or buy your house. Get into your new dream home. Uh, Rowena will help you do it. Give her a call at 333-4483, and then start packing. Are we pick back up now with the uh, soundbite. It's very,
1: very clear um, that from the stakeholders we engage with, that they wanted more, quote-unquote, inclusive standards, those that focused on uh, the experiences of the majority, and I use that term very carefully because I understand that they're outliers, right? And everybody, nobody's a monolith, but the majority of experiences from black, brown, native, and queer folk. And so now we're kind of using terms like divisive, Right, which is very um, nebulous, and to me just means you know um, things exposing about their divisions, pre-existing divisions. But it's not clear to me for whom is this divisive. We've articulated who we want to include. Who are we claiming that this is divisive for? We should be super specific.
0: All right, I will be super specific. Let me let me address this. It will be divisive for everybody, all of us. Not divisive as in, I'm a victim, you're being divisive. I'm saying divisive as in pitting people against one another based on, well, let's use a critical race theory, the construct of race, among other things. Gender identity would be another. Religion might be another, right? These characteristics that people have, uh, whether it's uh, you know their choice or not, uh, when you divide people based on these things then that becomes divisive. See how that works? Now, uh, what the folks on the Board of Education were suggesting is maybe focus a little bit more on the things that unite us, these concepts, these principles, that while, yes, America has fallen short of these ideals, we are the only nation founded on these ideals. We put them down on paper and said, this is what we want to be. This is... This is how we intend to live our lives and what we respect. And if these are the things that don't unite us any longer, then, then I guess we're done. And maybe that's the point here. Maybe there are some people that are in positions in education that don't believe any of those original arguments, and so they believe we are done. This is at the core, by the way, of systemic racism in this critical race theory is that the whole system is inherently racist. Therefore, you should be trying to tear it down. And if you are not, you are complicit in the racism. This is what has prompted the Discovery Institute Center on Wealth and Poverty to form um, a coalition to fight critical race theory in the courts. They put out a a statement uh, a couple of weeks ago, Christopher Ruffo. uh, He says uh, this new coalition of law firms and legal foundations have the explicit goal of fighting critical race theory in the courts. This coalition called Stop Critical Race Theory uh, has already filed three lawsuits against public institutions conducting critical race theory programs. And in the coming months, we will file additional lawsuits in state and federal courts. Our ambition is to take one of these cases all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and establish that critical race theory based programs which perpetuate racial stereotypes, compel discriminatory speech and create hostile working environments, violate the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the U.S. Constitution. When we are victorious in the courts, it'll have an immediate ripple effect through every school, government agency, and private employer in the nation. We will effectively abolish critical race theory programs from American life. So that is their goal. That's their stated goal. Okay. There was a piece by, uh, this was now back in 2018, Helen Pluckrose, James Lindsay, and Peter Bogassian. These were the three people who created fake studies. And got them published things like, you know, your uh, uh, dogs are racist, like based on observations in the dog park where a black dog and a white dog wouldn't go near each other. And they they fabricated research that was so outlandish, but it sounded good. Right. It was so woke that people didn't peer review it. People didn't even think about it uncritically uh, or think about it critically. They just accepted it because they wanted it to be true. And they pulled this hoax off for like a year, and they got stuff published all over the place. And they say this piece called Academic Grievance Studies and the Corruption of Scholarship. They say scholarship is based less now upon finding truth and more upon attending to social grievances. This has become firmly established, if not fully dominant within these fields. And their scholars increasingly bully students administrators, and other departments into adhering to their worldview. Um, They go on to say here, let me see, two, two, one, page one, two, three. Yeah, we have stated firmly that there is a problem in our universities, and it's spreading rapidly into the culture. Again, this was three years ago. It is aided in this by being tricky to understand and by intentionally using emotionally powerful words like racist and sexist in technical ways that mean something different than their common usages. This problem is most easily summarized as an overarching, almost or fully sacralized belief, like a religion that many common features of experience and society are socially constructed. These constructions are seen as being nearly entirely dependent upon power dynamics between groups of people, often dictated by sex, race, or sexual or gender identification. All kinds of things accepted as having a basis in reality due to evidence are now instead believed to have been created by the intentional and unintentional machinations of powerful groups white people in order to maintain power over marginalized ones this worldview produces a moral imperative to dismantle these constructions do, do, do you follow that i know they're like they write in this academic prose but um they're saying all kinds of things that we have generally accepted to uh, to have been based in reality like dare i say it men and women Right, two sexes, two genders. There's male and female. That has always been the case, as far as I know. Is always the case. But now it is no longer the case. Now we are told these are constructs that were built to keep people oppressed, that they're not based in any kind of reality. And when you start accepting that as a as a world view, it produces what they call a moral imperative to tear it down, because now the only reason it exists is to oppress people. It wasn't based in reality. It wasn't based in some sort of benefit to a society. It wasn't based on anything other than oppression. So if you're not trying to tear it down, you are part of the oppression. Where does all of this lead? I will tell you in a minute. First, I'm going to tell you right now about general equipment rental, which you already know about. Uh, If you live anywhere in the Asheville area, you probably know about general equipment rental. Okay, If you're looking to do some work on your house, I know it's cold outside, so you're probably not doing a lot of outdoor work right now, but a great time to do indoor projects. And if you are uh, trying to do some of these projects and you find that you can't get the job done because you don't have the right tool, but you don't want to go out and buy this tool because it's expensive, well, then just go to General Equipment Rental, get the tool you need, get the job done right, and then bring it back. It's fantastic. It's so great. I'm And by the way, they are also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales provider and service provider. So uh, if you want to buy an outdoor piece of equipment, they can hook you up with that as well. I intend to head on over there once we get into our new house as well. Uh, they have air tools. They have compressors. They got scaffolding. They got uh, power tools, big and small. They got earth moving equipment, construction equipment. They've got it all. They also have the, the, uh, the mister, which will... Um, you know, use it to, to, uh, to sanitize uh, all sorts of areas so it's safe for food surfaces and stuff. Uh, so they've got all of the tools that you could possibly need. Just go on in and tell them what you're looking to do, and they will help you find the right tool, and they're going to show you how to use it too. Okay, so you got the confidence to finish that job right. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. So where does all of this lead? It leads to San Francisco, right, changing the names on their schools to take names like George Washington and Paul Revere off. Yeah, the city school board ordered the removal of names from schools that honored historical figures with, quote, offensive histories, which includes Abraham Lincoln, the guy who literally abolished slavery, (laughs) right? The president who did that, um, he's not woke enough, right? 44 schools getting renamed, including Lincoln High. to, 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 oh, also, yeah, this one was funny too. Diane Feinstein, Feinstein Elementary School, and the reason she um, uh, they took her name off it was because there was some Confederate flag issue while she was mayor, like 400 years ago. Actually, it was like 40, but um, yeah, so she, they took her name off it too, off of a school uh, over that. California schools aren't even delivering an education at the moment, and the school name seems like a rather strange priority, even if change is somehow justified, writes Ed Morrissey at HotAir.com. School board members... Have insisted that the renaming is timely and important given the counties or sorry the country's reckoning with a racist past. They have argued that the district is capable of pursuing multiple priorities at the same time. Some criticize the board for focusing on symbolism rather than the urgent reality facing struggling students who are approaching now one full year in distance learning, with many struggling academically, socially, and emotionally. Oh, also, it's going to be expensive. It's going to cost at least a million dollars to rename the 44 school sites and potentially significantly more. Who else has this dishonorable legacy, according to San Francisco's educratic elites? George Washington, Paul Revere, the Roosevelt's, both Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe, Francis Scott Key, The (laughs) Presidio—it's also problematic—and John Muir. Oddly, two other presidents who died from assassination are included in the dishonorable legacy list: James Garfield, who barely even took office at all, and William McKinley. For some reason, El Dorado—this is a legend about a city of gold—that is that also has a dishonorable legacy. It's. It's not even a real city, okay? Uh Frisco's elite also want to forget the Alamo and they're also not too keen on remembering the missions. Okay, if you're so woke, you find Abraham Lincoln insufficiently honorable. The problem is you, says Ed Morrissey. But it is a handy media distraction for a school board that cannot educate in a city that can't clean up its feces in the streets and a state that cannot handle a vaccination program. The disgrace is really all uh, all but complete for California. The dishonor here belongs entirely to San Francisco and its elites. This actually gets to a point that I've talked about in the past. Uh, Matthew Crawford wrote about it at a website called unheard.com, where he says there is a permission structure that is built around these grievance politics. And just to put it very simply, if America is fundamentally racist, sexist, homophobic, right, all of that, then I don't owe it anything. And Actually, conscience demands that I repudiate it. And if I now owe the country nothing because of these original sins, because they're racist and sexist and everything else, then it allows me, it frees me up to do whatever I would like, because I'm now no longer bound by the community of America, right? In um, The Revolt of the Elites, author Christopher Lash spells out in greater detail that claims of racial and sexual oppression uh the roles that these play in securing release from allegiance to the nation, not just for those who identify as its victims, but for those with the moral sensitivity to see victimization where it may not be apparent and who make this capacity a touchstone of their own identity. See, there is a larger uh there is a larger agenda afoot. That's a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Remember subscribe to the podcast. Go to the Pete Calloner show Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.